Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, good morning, everyone, and especially those of you mothers in the room. Happy Mother's Day. And if you, if at all possible, right, and you can't see your mom today, please call her, FaceTime, Skype, whatever you have to do. Just do it so that you can wish your mom a happy Mother's Day and tell her you love her and appreciate her. And mothers, we honor you this weekend. And for just for those moms in the room, could we just through our applause, just show our honor and love for moms in this room, right? Well, this morning, I want to draw our attention to one of my favorite uh, Bible passages. We all have many favorite passages in the Bible, but John 21 is one of my favorites. And so I want to draw our attention to that this morning. It's a story here of grace. It's a story of hope. It's a story that's filled with emotion. It's an honest story. It has a sense of realness to it. It's a story that we can all identify with. It's a story of a man who has messed up. He's broken promises. He's lied. He's betrayed his friend. And yet, at the end, this gentleman is restored back into relationship with Jesus Christ and restored back as a disciple, a follower of Jesus. This is a story of restoration, of restoration. When I was in university, living at home uh, with my parents and my two brothers, my dad found and bought a 1948 Oldsmobile in Saskatchewan and towed it from Saskatchewan to Kelowna with our Ford Aerostar van and along the way almost burnt the transmission out of this van, but he finally got it to Kelowna. And um, my dad and and us as, as sons, we had this dream to restore this vehicle. And it had so much potential, but when we had it there, I mean, it was in terrible shape. The interior was just eaten out by mice, and the seats ripped, and the electronics, it was in terrible shape, but it had potential. And so we began to try and fix this vehicle, and began tinkering, and sanding, and repairing it. Finally, we got it running one day. And uh, we decided to take a little drive around the block. And so my brothers, my dad and I, we piled into this car and there were no seats in it. So we just sat on the floorboards and a couple of us sat on milk cartons or milk crates. And um, we're driving it around the block and there was no gas tank in the vehicle either. So we had a little bucket with gasoline in the vehicle with us with a line running to the carburetor so that we could drive the vehicle. But we just, we had a victory lap, right? Driving around the block, we're just celebrating our achievement. In its day, it would have been a, just a beautiful car. I mean, it had what, what they call suicide doors, so it just had a unique way of opening and getting into the vehicle. It had a long front end on it, lots of grill, lots of chrome. It would have been a beautiful vehicle. But when we had it, I mean, it was a broken down mess. And it needed repairing. It needed to be put back together again. It needed some attention in order to restore it to what it once was. And John chapter 21 here that we're going to look at this morning is Peter's restoration story. After Jesus had been raised from the dead, he appeared to seven of his disciples here in in this chapter. And Peter was one of these disciples that Jesus appeared to. If you rewind the story in Peter's life a little bit, back before Jesus was crucified, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter denied that he knew anything about Jesus 
that he knew him at all, he did that two times. And a third time, in Luke chapter 22, verse 60, one more person, one more man came up to Peter and said, I know you, you were with Jesus, you were one of them. And a third time, Peter replied to this person saying, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as Peter was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Their eyes met across the courtyard. They connected with each other, Jesus and Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Jesus had said, before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he, Peter, went outside and wept bitterly. This is part of Peter's story. Peter, at this point, was brokenhearted, so overcome with grief, discouragement, couldn't believe what he had done. And so he wept bitterly. He was repentant. And Peter and Jesus have not had a chance to talk about what happened that night. They haven't had a chance to talk it through, and I think Peter might be asking questions as he thought about that evening, as he thought about what he had done. He's, he's asking, what do you think of me now, Jesus? What do you think of me? Am I disqualified? Am I written off? Am I sidelined? Are we still friends even? Can I still follow you? And I believe many of us in this room ask questions like this when we find ourselves in similar places. When we've disappointed Jesus, we think, what does Jesus think about me now? When we've sinned, when we've messed up, we think, what does Jesus think about me? What does Jesus, how does he feel about me? How does Jesus see me? Am I loved by him? Am I useful to him? Am I disqualified? Am I worthy to even talk or pray to him? And we wonder, is there enough grace? Is there enough grace available for us so that we can be restored back into relationship with Jesus Christ and perhaps even grow in our relationship with him? Many of us are asking these sorts of questions, I believe, this week, maybe even this morning. And this morning, I want you to know how Jesus feels about you. I want you to know how Jesus thinks about you. Most of all, I want you to know that Jesus is ready, willing, and available to press into you his gift of restorative grace so that you can be brought back, so that you can be renewed, so you can be restored back into relationship with him no matter what you've done. And from John chapter 21 this morning, first of all, we see that Jesus restores you by entering into your world. Jesus restores you by entering into your world. Jesus thinks you are worth chasing after. You are worth seeking after. Jesus is closer to you than you think he is. One little girl says it this way. She put her hand on her heart, three-year-old girl, and she says, I know Jesus is with me because I can feel him walking around inside me. <laughs> the truth is that Jesus seeks after you. Follow along in your Bibles as we work through John 21. I won't read all of it, but I'll pause at different places here and just relate to you the story of what takes place here. The chapter begins with Peter and six other disciples just hanging out. Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. The other, the other disciples say, well, we're going to come along with you. And so they fish all night on the Sea of Galilee. That's the best time to fish on this massive lake. And they don't catch anything all night. Morning's just starting, and so they are tired, they're discouraged, 
They feel like failures perhaps at being fishermen. They're about 100 yards from the shore when suddenly they hear a voice calling out to them. Verse 4 says this, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus calls out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. Jesus says, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. The disciples did this and miraculously they catch so many fish they can't even haul it aboard. And we're told here in the text, 153 fish. One of the disciples counted them perhaps. And John, the author of this book, was in the boat. And he recognizes Jesus' voice. And he connects Jesus' voice with the miracle that just took place. And he leans over to Peter and says, Peter, it's the Lord. It's Jesus. And we know Peter to be this just spontaneous fellow, spur-of-the-moment guy. And so he gathers up his clothing and he jumps into the lake and begins to swim 100 meters towards shore. It's not a quick swim. And I wonder what Peter thought Jesus would say to him when he reached the shore. Perhaps Peter thought Jesus would say, Peter, I invested three years of my life into you. I thought you would be a better disciple, but you've blown it again. Maybe Peter thought Jesus would say, I'm so disappointed in you. I mean, what was going through Peter's mind as he swam to meet Jesus? What reception did he think he would receive? Peter finally makes it to the beach and he discovers that Jesus has been waiting there for quite some time. There's a fire going for Peter to warm himself beside. There's coals and fish cooking over the coals. There's bread there. Jesus has breakfast. And my point is this, that Jesus sought out Peter. Jesus entered into Peter's world to meet him, to get his attention. Jesus knew the exact location that these disciples would be. He knew the exact time that this boat would approach close to the shore that Jesus could call out to them. Jesus moves towards Peter, not away from Peter. Jesus isn't passive. He isn't distant. He isn't withdrawn. Jesus approaches Peter. He isn't rude or resentful. But he enters into Peter's world and chases after him. The way that John writes in this chapter here, he just tells the story so vividly. And I notice in this passage that this fire has burnt to the point that it's just coals, great for roasting and cooking over. Those of you who have been camping, been around a campfire, I mean, how long does it take for wood to burn to the point that it's just coals? It takes quite a while, doesn't it? And as I read this passage, I think of Jesus sitting on the beach there for a long time, looking over the lake, seeing the boat, seeing the disciples fish, seeing their discouragement. He knows each one of these disciples by name. Perhaps Jesus is reminiscing about the times that they've spent together. Perhaps Jesus is praying for them and their future. Certainly Jesus would have thought of Peter and the conversation that he and Peter haven't had yet. Perhaps he's thinking about Peter, praying for him. I mean, think about it. Jesus, the Son of God, making breakfast for a group of failures. Jesus' actions here are just filled with hospitality, with forgiveness, with acceptance, with grace. Such grace. 
And I want you to know this morning that Jesus is not surprised by the way that you've disappointed him, by your brokenness, by my brokenness, by my sin, by your sin. Jesus is not surprised. He knows that we will disappoint, we'll have failure in this life. And it's what we do with it that makes all the difference. But when you've disappointed Jesus, when you've failed him, and you're wondering how Jesus feels about you now, Jesus seeks you out. He enters into your world to get your attention for the purpose of bringing healing and restoration in your heart, in your life. Think back to the beginning of Scripture. After Adam and Eve had sinned, God entered into their world, calling out to them, where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? And Jesus is the same with you and I today. He reaches out to us with gentle whispers of conviction and guidance and grace. And grace, Jesus has not forgotten about you. He's not vengeful towards you. He draws you and I in with grace. This is who Jesus is. And this is the way that Jesus feels about you. He enters into your world. Second, Jesus wants to know how you feel about him. When he gets your attention, Jesus wants to know how you feel about him. If we go back to our text here, it's early in the morning. The sun is just coming up over the Galilean countryside, over the Sea of Galilee. It's beautiful. The disciples have just finished eating breakfast that Jesus prepared for them. And then Jesus has a conversation with Peter. And what we see here is Jesus didn't respond with perhaps some of the negative comments that we would have made towards Peter. Instead, Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus wants to know how Peter feels about him. We don't really know exactly why Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? I mean, it might be because Peter denied Jesus publicly three times, and maybe this is sort of a way for Jesus to Um, allow Peter to make restitution for his three times denial and now three times then Peter affirms that he does love Jesus but we don't really know exactly why. The language in this interchange here is interesting. The first two times that Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? The word love that Jesus uses is agape which is like a perfect love. So Jesus is asking Peter, Peter, do you love me 100%? Do you love me perfectly? Do you love me with the fullest ultimate expression of love. And Peter replies back, I love you, but the word love that Peter uses is phileo, and it means sort of, I love you as a friend. I love you 80%. I love you as much as I can. And the third time that Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Jesus uses Peter's word, saying, do you love me as a friend? And Peter is disappointed at this point here. We see in verse 17, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Jesus asked him once again, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. It's almost like Peter's saying here, nothing in my life is hidden from you. You know best of all. You know all about me. Nothing is hidden from my heart. You know the condition of my heart. You know that as much as I can, as much as I'm able to, I do love you. We don't see a proud Peter here. 
We don't see an arrogant Peter here. We don't see a Peter making extravagant promises. We see a humble Peter, an honest Peter. And yet he confidently declares his love for Jesus. See, Jesus asks Peter a pretty heavy question here. When you've failed, Jesus, when you've disappointed him, when you've sinned, Jesus enters into your world and his greatest concern is how you feel about him. Jesus' greatest concern is the condition of your heart. If Jesus were standing here today and he asked you, do you love me? How would you honestly respond to him? It's a question that's worth thinking about often. And on what, on what basis would you, on what evidence would you base your response to Jesus on? I did a little informal, unscientific survey this week. I asked a few coworkers and friends to ask me a question that would reveal to them, that would give evidence to them how I loved my wife Nadine. So I asked them, what are some questions you would ask me to reveal how I love my wife Nadine? These are some of the questions that they said would give evidence to my love for her. Do I tell her that I love her? That's a great question. Do I speak highly of her in front of others? How much do I miss her when I've been away? How much time do I spend with her? Have I been faithful to her? This last question, is it Facebook official that I love my wife? Someone came up to me after the first service and Kent said, Kent, another question you could add is, how well do you know her? How well do you know her? I mean, there's so many questions a person could be asked. These are good questions, maybe thoughtful questions for you to reflect on. But let me ask these questions to you in a little bit of a different way. Do you tell Jesus that you love him? Do you tell Jesus that you love him. When was the last time you told him that? Do you speak highly of Jesus in front of others, in the company of others? Do you speak highly of Jesus? Do you miss Jesus when you haven't spent time with him? How much time do you spend with Jesus? This last question, is it Facebook official that you love Jesus? But I mean, really, you know, if, if someone could see your Facebook, your Twitter page, whatever social platform you use, would they be able to tell that you love Jesus? Or would they see that you love something else more than you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? What emotions rise up to you when you read scripture, when you see his name is in print? What emotions rise up to you when you sing songs of worship like we've done this morning? What emotions rise up in you when you talk about Jesus, when you hear his name spoken positively in a, in a healthy, God-honoring way? What emotions rise up to you when his name is used in a dishonoring way? What do you feel when you hear his name spoken? And if your love and your devotion and your commitment to Jesus has waned, perhaps this morning is a great time to affirm once again your love for him. When was the last time that you told Jesus you love him? Jesus enters into your world to get your attention. He wants to know how you feel about him. 
Third, Jesus restores you by affirming that your calling, your purpose is still in place. At the beginning of John 21 here, we see Peter and six other disciples just sort of hanging out. And the truth is that they are frightened. They're scared stiff because they don't know what the Romans will do to them if, if the Romans find out that they are disciples of Jesus. So they're frightened for their safety. They don't know what Jesus' plan is for him, but they don't know what Jesus' plan is for themselves as well. Jesus has appeared to the disciples two times, two other times previous to this time. And from those encounters, Jesus hasn't told them, this is your mission. Here's your assignment. Here's what you're supposed to do now. They're just waiting. And they clearly don't know really what they're waiting for. Peter then, he knows fishing. Some of these disciples are his partners, were his partners in his fishing business. And they know fishing. And so Peter says, well, let's go fishing. At least we know how to do that. Their, question, their, their, their future with Jesus and Jesus' mission is questionable, especially, especially Peter. I mean, after what he had done, he must be thinking, well, my future with Jesus, my calling, my mission with him, it's got a big question mark around it. If we rewind three years previous on this exact same seashore, the Sea of Galilee was the first time that Jesus encountered Peter. And the scenarios are quite the same. Peter had been fishing all night with his partners and they hadn't caught anything. They were packing up their nets. Many of you know this story. And Jesus says to Peter, well, go out and fish one more time. So they do that and they, they, they cast the nets over the side and they catch so many fish they can't even haul them all in. The nets are breaking. And at that moment, Jesus tells Peter, you're not going to fish for fish anymore. You're going to be fishing for men your future is different. Your purpose, your calling is new now. If we fast forward a little bit further in Peter's story, Peter walked on water. We fast forward a little bit further and Peter was the first disciple to acknowledge, to confess that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God sent to rescue the world. And Jesus said to Peter, this hasn't been revealed to you just based on your own knowledge my Father has revealed this to you. And we fast forward a little bit more in Peter's life and Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter, which means rock. And Jesus says, you now are the rock on whom I will build my church. Peter's influence, his leadership has just been up and to the right and then Peter's denial. And Peter must have been wondering, what about all those things? that I did. What about all those words that you spoke into my life, Jesus? Are those still accurate? Are they still real? Is my purpose, my calling, this adventure that you've started me on, is it, will, will it end here or will it continue on? Have I been disqualified? Three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Peter responds three times, I do love you. And three times Jesus says then to Peter, well, Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, take care of my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. And in these statements, Jesus is telling Peter, you have not been disqualified. All is not lost. You are still worth so much to me. I do have a purpose. I do have a plan. I do have a calling for you. You're not 
You're not apart from my presence. I want you to follow me. Nothing has been lost. At the end of this back and forth, here later in the chapter 21, we see Jesus saying again to Peter, come follow me. And this morning I want you to know, no matter what you've done, with Jesus Christ coming into you and restoring you and putting you back together again, your calling is still secure. Your purpose for how he wants to use you in this world is still in place. All is not lost. No matter if you've disappointed him, no matter if you have sinned, Jesus still has a plan for you. He still has a way that he wants to use you in this world to expand his kingdom purposes. You're not disqualified. This encounter that Jesus had with Peter deeply, in a deeply transformative way, changed Peter completely, completely. It renewed him, it restored him. There's a story of a man named James Lauder. He was driving with his wife and his two daughters down the road and they saw a vehicle to the side that had a flat tire and so he pulled over to the side and, and uh, they were helping this lady fix this flat tire. So James got out, started fixing the, the wheel and he was under the vehicle trying to repair this flat tire and all of a sudden a vehicle came and swerved off the shoulder of the highway, the road, and collided with the vehicle that James was underneath. And in that process, the vehicle landed on James on his chest and pinned him to the ground. James' right thumb was torn off. Five of his ribs were broken. His left lung was punctured, and he was bleeding into his lungs. And his wife, who was about five feet tall, just a little lady, grabbed the front bumper and prayed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and she lifted the car enough that James could be pulled out from underneath the vehicle. James obviously was in a state of shock and they rushed him for emergency surgery to the hospital and the doctors did not know if he would survive. Before they put oxygen on him even, his complexion suddenly changed from pale white to healthy pink. And a miracle took place and James was healed. And he invited the doctors then to sing songs of worship and praise, and they did that. But not only did this miracle heal James physically, this event transformed him and changed him in a much deeper way. You see, sometimes we hear stories like this, and they don't come from credible sources, but James Lauder was a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary. And his idea of God was sort of this abstract concept he didn't know God. He didn't have a, a personal, vibrant, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. But after this event occurred, he was changed on the inside completely. He had a very real relationship, a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. And so much so that he became known around Princeton Seminary as the weeping professor. His love for Jesus was just worn on his sleeve. The weeping professor. It changed him completely on the inside. And the miracle that takes place here in John chapter 21 is not Peter's physical healing. But Peter was changed inside in a very significant way. 
What was broken in him was restored, was renewed, was repaired. He was changed. And it's not a coincidence that the last chapter of John tells this encounter between Jesus and Peter. And the second chapter of Acts, Peter is preaching, talking about his Lord and Savior. And 3,000 people come to know Jesus as their Savior. And if we fast forward to the end of Peter's life, Peter glorifies Jesus in his death by being crucified, dying upside down as a martyr because he will not deny that he loves Jesus and is a follower of Jesus. Peter's life was changed in such a transformative way. Three important things happened to Peter on that beach. Jesus entered into Peter's world and got his attention. Jesus allowed Peter an opportunity to confess, to affirm once again his love, his commitment to Jesus. And Jesus once again affirmed his purpose and his calling as a follower, as a disciple of his. And as we've looked at this passage here, I wonder what Jesus is saying to you this morning through his word. What is Jesus saying to you about your relationship with him? Let's close our time in prayer together. Just bow your heads with me, would you? I just want to ask you a few questions. And with your heart just in an attitude of prayer, I want you to be listening for what Jesus might be saying to you. How is Jesus trying to get your intention? Have things happened in your life lately? A conversation with a person? Your reading of scripture? A song that's popped into your mind? How is Jesus trying to get your attention? What does he want to say to you about your relationship with him? Do you love Jesus? Have you told him recently that you love him? Is Jesus maybe inviting you in a new and a fresh way to reaffirm your love for him again. If you feel that he is, then take these moments now in quiet prayer and just tell Jesus that you do love him. For others of you, perhaps, Jesus is affirming in you again your calling, your purpose a plan that he has for you. Maybe, maybe Jesus said some things in the past to you that you've forgotten, that you've pushed aside, and he's reminding you of these things, of these ways that he wants to use you in this world. Perhaps Jesus is calling you to something new, and how he wants to use you in his kingdom. If any of these questions have connected with you, just spend some moments praying and talking to Jesus about what he might be saying to you. We'll just spend a few moments in quiet prayer and then I'll, I'll end our time together.
Jesus, thank you for this passage. In your encounter that you had with Peter, we find so much hope. We find hope for ourselves. We see that you are so incredibly forgiving and gracious. Thank you for the way that you are with us. Thank you that it's because of you, Jesus, that we can be forgiven. We can be restored. We can be cleansed from our sin and made right with you. Thank you that that is always, always, always possible. And we rejoice in your grace and your mercy shown towards us. Jesus, thank you for entering into our world. Thank you for speaking to us. You are real. You are active by your spirit. Holy Spirit, speak to us, all of us this morning. Jesus, as much as is within us, we honestly say that we love you. We're grateful for who you are and your presence in our lives. And Jesus, we know that you have things you want us to be about in this world. You have called us, you've commissioned us to expand your kingdom purposes in this world. There are things you want done. And so help us to see the unique role that we can play in your mission as disciples, as followers of you. Thank you for what you've spoken to us this morning and give us the courage and the boldness to act in obedience to what you're asking us to do. And now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May you experience God's peace this week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.